days are kind of blurring together in Pittsburgh. And so I just want to take a moment. I want to read these names. And as I'm reading over them, will you just lift up their families, lift up that community in Pittsburgh? Uh, guy, the FBI official, said this is the most horrific crime scene he's seen in 22 years with the FBI. And here are the 11 names that, that were victims because of it. Joyce Feinberg, age 75. Rose Malinger, age 97. Jerry Rabinowitz, age 66. Cecil Rosenthal, age 59. David Rosenthal, age 54. Daniel Stein, age 71. Melvin Wax, age 88. Irving Younger, age 69. Richard Gottfried, age 65. Bernice Simon, age 84. Sylvan Simon, age 86. Some, the Rosenthal's were brothers, the Simons were married. Those, like 88, 97, I would imagine that's not, I mean, that's, no one expects that, but wow, people that were, you know, getting up, and I would imagine it's not super easy for a 97-year-old to get out and about and, and go to their place of worship. Um, so God, we just, we don't even know, um, we don't, I don't know, I, I confess I know nothing about this scenario. I don't know if they know motive. I, I think that they've caught somebody. Um, but I, I do know that our heart breaks, that something like that um, takes place. Especially seeming like today in 2018, it seems like we should be past that, but we're not. So God, we just ask for your hand to come. That God, you would make yourself known. that you would help, God, even in this most horrific of things, a lot like your death was the most horrific of things, that somehow you would bring a redemption through this, that somehow you would bring about good through this, that people would turn to you and recognize that you're the one true and good answer. God, right now we just pray for your comfort. We ask for you to come and let your Holy Spirit just reside on Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And that this would be used to draw people to you and not deter. Amen. I can't even, not even imagine that. Um, it's great to have you here today. Um, we're going to dig into God's Word a little bit. And so <clears throat> we've been, Dad's been leading us through a series of a few weeks right now, right? This the When the Devil Knocks series. And so, um, you know, you may say, like, why are we talking so much about the devil? Well, first of all, we don't try to do that every week. Um, this is a three-week series, but we do want to recognize, um, while this is not a devil-glorifying message series, we have to understand that we are in a very real, in a, a daily spiritual battle. And, and so what we see with our eyes is not all that there is, right? So there's this physical world and, and then this very real spiritual world, and um, we, Dad looked at a verse and we dove into this verse a couple weeks ago where the Apostle Paul said that our battle is not against people, it's not against flesh and blood, right? But we're in a spiritual battle against forces of darkness. And we have a very real enemy. And he's called a lot of things. Um, it's like you might have been called a lot of things growing up, right? Um, but he, he, he's called a lot of things, and um, hopefully your list was better than this, but things like Satan, Lucifer, Prince of Darkness, the evil one, father of lies, 
the destroyer, the accuser. Like anybody run to their mom or a teacher or something and like, hey, they called me something on the playground. Like that's like the laundry list of worst things that you could be called for, but that's who he is. We call him for who he is. And his mission is to come against the people of God. And that's why Peter says this. In, in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, stay alert. Or in other words, be on your guard. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. According to Jesus, he came on a mission. So Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, though, that the evil one has also come on a mission to steal, to kill, to, to destroy. What Satan wants to do is he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy your contentment. He will attack every single day. He's going to attack your finances, your friendships, your body, your marriage, your spiritual life. He's on the attack, trying to rob people of the blessings that God wants to bring into their lives. That's his mission. That's his goal. It's his only directive. And so in this message series, we've been looking at some metaphors on some of those images of Satan and trying to understand his strategy so that, so that we can better um, stand up against him and defeat him. So week number one, we looked at him as a deceiver. So who is Satan? He's this deceiver who attacks our mind with lies. Then last week, we looked at Satan as an accuser. So who is Satan? He's this accuser who targets our heart with accusations. And this week, this one's very important and maybe even a little bit more difficult and challenging for us to hear. Seems like that's the theme lately. I like to get the challenging ones. Um, but Satan is also the destroyer who attacks or targets our will with our pride. So today's largely going to be about this issue of pride. You know, I used to think that the, that the devil would attack, that the enemy, enemy would attack when you're down and when you're weak and when you're vulnerable. And he'll, he'll do that, no doubt. But I've also learned that he loves to attack when you're strong and when things are going really, really well. Some of you right now, you might be in a better season of life. And you think, well, you know, things are good, so I really don't have that much to worry about. That, that things are kind of calm. I'm in a season where, you know, it, things are kind of smooth right now. I'm getting a little comfortable. That may be the time when you're most vulnerable because it's when you're least aware. That's when you're most vulnerable is when you're least aware, when, when you're least on alert, realizing that your enemy may be attacking, that he often does come in during that time. No, not only will he kick you when you're down, but he's going to come after you when things are going well. In fact, what I want to do today is I want to show you an Old Testament story that many of you might not be familiar with, but um, it's actually about a time when Satan poised a very strategic attack against King David. And he didn't attack David when he was discouraged, but instead he attacked him when he was at the height of his power, when he was the most popular. If you don't know about the rise of um, the story of David's rise, he was an ordinary little shepherd boy, okay? He's out tending his sheep, and his people were at battle. He was kind of one of the weak ones, younger ones, staying behind with the sheep because he could manage that while big bros are out there taking care of business on the battlefield. And so... So their armies coming to attack. There's this big giant, and David came up there, you know, checking out what's going on, bringing his brother some lunch, and he realized that they're all like hanging back while this dude is just mocking his his brothers and his nation and his God. And he's like, "Why are you guys afraid? What's going on?" And uh, they're like, "Well, that dude's like, you know, really, really big, and he's gonna kill us if we go near him." And he's like, "But God's on our side. I'll take the dude on. Let's go." And this little boy ends up taking down the enemy force, like this smallest little dude. I mean, we've, we've heard the story, the tiny little David and the big old Goliath, like we've heard this story. I think sometimes we lose, the, we lose how drastic of a scenario it is. It's like a, um, like a little boys club, boys and girls club basketball player going on taking like LeBron James or something like that. Like that, the odds, there's no chance of that game going another way, right? But he goes out there and he's like, no, I didn't even need all this like armor you're giving me. I'm just going to go out there because I have God on me, like faith of a child, right? So he goes out and he takes care of business. 
Um, and so he's, because of this, everyone's like, and, and, you know, imagine what the media would be like today if that story unfolds and all of a sudden, you know, Twitter's blowing up and everything's like, he's breaking social media and everybody's like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And then he's anointed to be king of Israel and he rises to the height of power. He's this war hero, right? And so when David goes out, he and his mighty men, they call him, they're coming home with a victory. It's just like a known thing now. Like they have got in them, they're accomplished warriors. They're going to go out and they're going to take care of business. They're coming home with victory. And so he's so popular. Imagine this, that the women would write songs about David and they would gather in the streets to sing these songs. Now, my wife, Abby, just the other day, you're not going to believe it. It's just, it was, I think it was Tuesday. What was this Tuesday, Abby? I came home from work and she raced out to the driveway and started singing a song about my glory and my majesty and my power and my handsomeness and my just everything that turns her on. She was singing to the whole neighborhood. I was kind of blushing a little bit, right? And so it was just fantastic. And I was like, well, that was quite the welcome home. Okay, maybe they didn't go quite like that. It was, it was probably a little bit more like, hey, here's your kid driving me crazy. And you know what happens if you're a parent, you know that, right? When it's your kid, when they're called your kid, that means there's probably an undesirable trait that's been taking place, pain in the butt, whatever it is. And so that day was my kid. But, okay, anyway, no one bought that, Abby. Um, <coughs> so anyway, they're singing about this guy. I mean, he's at the height of his game, and he... And, and it's then that he stumbles. Not when he was weak or vulnerable, but he stumbles because of his pride. He started to write, read his own headlines, right? Oh, yeah, man, that guy sounds, oh, he sounds pretty cool. That's actually me. That's me they're talking about. In fact, you know, I, I bet if, if we interviewed people on the street and said, what do you think David's greatest sin was? A lot of people would say his greatest sin was adultery with Bathsheba, right? Because that's what he's known by. We're known as that being like David's Achilles heel story. But maybe someone who's thinking a little deeper might say, you know, well, mur murdering her husband Uriah, that might have even been a bigger sin. Because not only did he commit adultery, but then he had her husband sent to the front lines and, and killed. So maybe murder was really his biggest sin. Or if we even took a step back, you know, I think that we could, we, we would actually find that the root of all that sin, the thing that led to adultery and eventually led to murder, I think that the, probably his biggest struggle along with so many of us, including me, is the battle with the root sin of pride. Think about this. Because of David's adultery, four people indirectly died. If you read through that story, the little baby died, Amnon died, Absalom died, and of course he had Uriah killed. So four people died because of that. But catch this, but because of David's sin of pride, and we're going to look at this story this morning, because of his sin of pride, 70,000 people were actually killed because of the filthy, horrendous sin of pride. 70,000 people. Think about the lives impacted. We're talking, we're mourning as a nation 11 today. 70,000. And that's where our enemy often attacks us. Not just when we're weak, but when we're proud. If I go in and show you the story, it's in 1 Chronicles 21. Verse 1, it tells us exactly what Satan did. How he, how he attacked. Scripture says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So what did he do? Satan came at David when he was confident, when he was strong, when he was victorious, and he incited David to take a census of Israel. David's at the top of his game right now. David's favorite song on, on Spotify is probably like, we are the champions, my friends. Like he's got he and his mighty men. Like that's just a cool tagline, right? Like David and his mighty men coming to town again, going to take care of business. We keep fighting to the end. We know we're going to win, right? He's winning his battles. He's like this undefeated war hero that's just knocking off enemy after enemy. And Satan comes up and he says, 
you're pretty powerful, aren't you, David? You're pretty amazing. You conquered kingdoms. Now you have all these people under your command. Hey, David, you should total them up. Let's see just how strong and powerful you are. You know, we can't guess about your domination and your strength. We should take a census. Let's count them up. Let's count up everybody under your rule in your kingdom, David, because you're mighty and strong and worthy of honor. Let's figure out just how big of a deal you are. Just how worthy are you, David? Count up the people. Let's see how incredible you are. Just reading his own headlines, right? He may look at this and think like, you know, was it really wrong to take a census? What's really the big deal? The answer is it's not. It's not really wrong to take a, a, a census. The enemy can take something that is kind of a neutral thing that doesn't really matter and turn it into something horrendous. What's wrong is the motive behind the census. Because motives matter to God. You know what's hard about that? Who often sees motives? Usually a lot of people don't, right? I don't have the scripture in my mind. If somebody has it, feel free to help me. But how God looks at the heart, like man looks at outward appearance, right? But God looks at the heart. Motives matter to God. Taking a census isn't a bad thing. Moses took a census, but the motive behind Moses' census was entirely different. In fact, what Moses would do is he would take every man over the age of 20 and he'd give him a half a shekel. And this was known as atonement money or ransom money. And what he was doing is saying, this represents honor to our God. I want to count up, I want to tally a total amount of those who God has rescued and redeemed from bondage. Motive's totally different, right? This represents giving glory to God because we're seeing how many God, how many people God has actually set free. So with Moses, the census goal was to give honor to God. With David, the goal is to bring honor to himself. And this was disgusting. This was disgusting in the eyes of God. I'm going to slow down for a minute and tell you about my own struggle with this. Yowzers, thought I spilled water all over the mic. I, I want you to think about a time in your life when maybe your motive was to seek your own glory. See, it doesn't take me very long to think back about, hey, when was the time I did something and, and my, my prideful motives were just very apparent. And maybe not anybody else could see them, but I knew that they were going on. Earlier this month, I was preaching at Clear Creek, right? <clears throat> Church down the street. And I wrestled with message prep for weeks. I was given a topic. I was given prompts to talk about. I was given a, a really good direction to go. I was given plenty of time. But every time I sat down to prepare, all I could think about is who I know that goes to the church that I wanted to impress. That stinks, right? It took me weeks to wrestle through that. I'm like, man. And I knew I was even doing it. I didn't even want that. I'm like, God, will you rid me of this? But I know that I have some key people in my life that they go to that church that I'm with on a regular basis that haven't seen me in this arena of, they just see me on like the, the, the Monday through the Saturday thing, but they haven't seen me on a Sunday morning. I wanted to somehow like leave them impressed that, oh man, that David is really cool. That is pride and that is disgusting to God. What is something, I want you to just take a moment. As I even recollect myself right now, I want you to just take a moment and think, when is something that you have done something? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and share and be that kind of vulnerable. But in your own heart right now, when is a time when you have done something? When you've sought glory for yourself. Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. You see, my only role is to point people to Jesus. I want that to be like my life's mission, right? I think many of you are in that same way. But when I'm weak and vulnerable and full of sin, suddenly I want the glory just like David did. 
Let me tell you how big my ministry is. Let me, let me show you how captivating I can be. Let me tell you the people that I've counted up. It's the very same thing, and it's disgusting to God, and it's heartbreaking to me. But that's still an issue that I deal with in my life, and that was David's issue. And others could see it too. This is what's so challenging about it. Some of you right now are going, oh man, I am so glad my husband is in here this morning to hear this message. He needs this so much. I hope you just preach it, DA. Smack him right between the eyes, that prideful thing. Listen, lady, this might be for you too. And vice versa, I'm not picking on a gender. I'm picking on everybody. If I haven't offended you yet, just hang with me. I can get to us before the time's over, right? I'm offending myself up here. It's so difficult to see in the mirror, but it's easy to see in other people. But gosh, it can be difficult to see in ourselves. Sometimes we can be so blinded. Like I knew in my scenario, I knew that that was something I was wrestling with. We don't always do that. This guy, Joab, this guy that's in this story, he was, he was a very loyal guy to David. He was the commander of the troops, but he saw it very clearly in David what was going on. He had seen that David was reading his own headlines. And this is what First Chronicles 21, 6 and 7, so a little bit later in that chapter, it says, Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering. He's messing with David's plan on the census. In other words, like I'm counting, but I'm leaving these two guys out. Why? Because the king's command was repulsive to him. I'm going to honor these people. I'm going to keep them out of it. The command was also evil in the sight of God. So God punished Israel. And if you read through it, it's a heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin, as a direct result of David's pride. Which was worse, adultery that David committed or pride? Okay, you're right, adultery is pretty bad, but pride probably caused it. I'm the king of Israel. I see that girl. She looked good. I want some of that. I deserve it. I'm king. When David committed the sin of adultery, here's what he said to Nathan. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. You know, later on he comes, comes and he repents for what he did. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. And he's broken. But when he committed the sin of pride, he put an adjective before sin. He didn't just say, I sinned against the Lord. He said, I've sinned greatly. By doing this, I've sinned greatly by doing this. The deadly sin of pride. If you're taking notes, here's what I hope you'll understand. This will be repeated, it has been repeated, and will be repeated. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Some of you, you're vulnerable right now because you don't know you're full of pride. Pride creeps in on us. Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament. He did something pretty cool. He had this innovative war idea, and because of that, he rose to fame and power. His pride took him out. This is what Scripture says in 2 Chronicles 26, 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, what happened? His pride led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. Pride can take you out of leadership. It can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can lose your credibility in sharing your witness. Pride took him down. Maybe one of the more famous verses on pride in all of Scripture is Proverbs 16, 18. Pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. Pride is disgusting to God. And we may never be more vulnerable than when we're full of pride. How does God feel toward the proud? I'm going to show you how God feels. 
James, James the half-brother of Jesus, he tells us, this is what he says in, in chapter 4 of his book. He says, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. The Greek word translated as opposes, it's a military term. It's to bring the full force of an army. To bring the full force of an army. In other words, if you stand and say, I deserve the glory that God deserves, God has every bit of power po poised against you. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Then he says, submit yourself. And the Greek word translated as submit, it's another military term. It means to voluntarily rank under. To voluntarily rank under. To choose submission to one that ranks higher. God, I fully submit to you. That's, that's, what, that's what we're called to do. And this is what it says. Look at it again. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves. Rank under voluntarily. Rank under. Submit to God voluntarily. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you submit to God, you have power of God, you have the presence of God, and you have the strength of God. Those things are all ushered in and invited in when you voluntarily submit to God. Instead of try to pull rank. How, I mean, how stupid does that sound anyway? When we, when we say it out loud, it sounds really dumb. But we do this. Like, no, I, can, I think I know what's best for this situation. Yeah, I think I can handle this. After you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. Devil, get away from me. You have no place here. You have no power here. Not today, not in my house, not in my family, not in my finances, not in the people that I love. You resist the devil, and then he will flee from you, not because you're strong, but because the power of God in you is stronger than the evil one. When you submit to God, you have the strength of God. You're able to resist the devil by the power of God, and the devil will flee from you. Then he says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. you know, I mean, it's just more and more stupid, this pride thing. Like somehow I want to seek glory of my own, and that, that distances us from God. No, I want to separate myself. I want to, I want to put myself out here because I really, I think I am pretty cool. I think I am. How ignorant. Come near to God. Submit underneath him, and he comes near to us. So what do you do? You don't elevate yourselves. You humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's even cool. In the midst of all this, we do this, and then he says, you know what? I'm going to lift you up anyway. You don't have to lift yourself up. It's like, you know how you know, sometimes some, we know people in our lives that the only way they can make themselves feel better about themselves is by putting others down? And no one likes that, right? Us lifting ourselves up is doing that. Oh, I, yeah, I'm pretty cool. I got the... No. The way the kingdom works is we come underneath Jesus and recognize his lordship. And in time, he raises us up. I can't believe that he would even... Like, that's one of the benefits of being his heir, his kid, is that he desires to lift us up too. Like, we are not deserving of that. I know that I am fully aware of my lack of deserving in this area. I would imagine many of your hands would go up if I asked for them. You humble yourselves before the Lord. When it comes to God and the evil, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to the power of good and the forces of evil, there is no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You don't sort of follow Jesus. Scripture says that friendship with this world is hatred toward God. And that's why we submit. That's why we voluntarily rank under. Father, your word is our guide. Your spirit empowers us. Your will is what we want. God, we submit to you. Then, submitted to God, we have the ability to resist the evil one, and he will flee from us. We need to understand might have heard this somewhere before, that you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. 
Essentially, we're declaring, when we're prideful, we're declaring our independence from God. I don't need you, God. I got this. Humility is declaring our complete dependence on God. I need you moment by moment. I need you guiding me. I need you directing me. I need your word taking my steps upon your path. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me, speaking to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you for my next decision. I need you to help me know how to love this person when I don't know how to love. I need your strength when I'm weak. I need you every single moment. I don't know who's leading worship in the next week or two, but that, I need you, oh, I need you, I'm going to throw that request in, whoever, whoever's on there. I'm going, to, I'm going to see if that one can get in the mix. Because we are a people who need reminded somehow. Like somehow our pride just continues to take over, and it is what it is. It is pride. It makes us think higher of ourselves. We need to continually come to a place where we recognize, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. That's humility. And when we humble ourselves, that's where that crazy thing happens. God lifts us up. There's no middle ground. There's no shared glory. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus because he's everything. Why do you think God opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full forces of everything he has to, to oppose those who are proud? It's very likely, because all the way back, even before the creation of the world, Lucifer, one that God loved. I think, did you talk about this a couple weeks ago? Um, I, I can't remember if, if you've touched on this, but Lucifer was, was an angel that God loved. We, we don't know, you know necessarily how many of these beautiful angels that he had, it, like this was an I think Archangel, maybe, if I'm getting my terms right. But there's Michael, there's Gabriel, there's Lucifer, like some names. Like, there, we know a lot of, you probably don't have to think very long before you know somebody that you, named, you know named Michael or Gabriel, right? Like, they, they continue to submit to God. We don't know a single one named Lucifer. Oh, yeah, we're dropping by the, you know, Bloomington Hospital to go meet baby Lucifer. It sounds bizarre, right? Because there's no glory in that name. There is no honor in that name. Because Lucifer sought out his own glory. Lucifer sought out his own honor. And he says, I want to be above. I want to be separate from God. I want my own glory. And that, is, that name is disgusting to us. Like, you, we've all had that scenario where we're visiting the hospital and somebody, like, picked out a name and you're like, oh. But you have to hide it or, like, you're trying to recite it so you don't, like, say it because maybe they even... They picked it like a normal name, but they spelled it really bizarre. And so you're like reciting it in your head as you go in and be like, oh, yeah, that's baby Michaela, but it's spelled with like three R's and a Z. And you're like, I don't get it. So you have those. There's no one that is like, yeah, that's baby Lucifer because that's disgusting. Because the actions of Lucifer have been disgusting because they have been saying, I'm greater than God. That breaks the father's heart. That broke the creator's heart because the Lucifer was one that he loved. He's already seen one that he loved deeply fall away because of this sin of pride. Lucifer became full of pride and he wanted to be like God. And that's why God had to cast him down. So heart-wrenching. His big weakness was he said again and again, I will, my will. Isaiah 14, five different times he declared, Lucifer declared his own sovereignty, his own will. He said, I will ascend to the heavens, that's pride. He said, I will raise my throne above the stars, that's pride. He said, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, that's pride. He said, I will... I will ascend to the top of the clouds. That's pride. He said, I will make myself like the most high. 
his pride. Lucifer was all, he was all about himself. And Jesus was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about my will. Jesus was your will, thy will, God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we talk about this a lot because we have to remember. We, every time we take communion, we, we look back at Jesus, and, and he's in this Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows what's ahead, and he knows he's about to give his life and suffer more brutally than any of our words can describe. Even if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, even, even the cringe that you get there, and as painful as that is, it pales in comparison to actually feeling and experiencing what he went through. And in agony, as drips of blood just poured down his, his face, he cried, Dad, is there any other way? Father, can you, can you think of anything else? Can you take this cup, this suffering, can you remove this? And then, in submission to God, he said, and this is Jesus. He said, even though I'm Jesus, the Son of God, I voluntarily rank underneath you. I voluntarily submit to you. This stinks, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Not my plan, but your plan. It's not about me. I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance. This is Jesus talking. Jesus himself saying, it's not about my importance, it's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity, it's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes, it's about your will. Not my will, but your will. Humility is not a weakness. When you are humble, you have the strength of God. You are never, ever weaker than when you're full of pride. And you're never, ever stronger than when you humble yourself before God. Because when you submit to God, he fills you with his presence. And then you have the power to say, I resist you. When the devil comes knocking, you can say, I resist you. Hey, you evil one, you have no business here. Get behind me. Not in my house, not in my family. Buzz off. It's the power of Christ dwelling within me. We're in a spiritual battle. It's not if you're under attack. You are under attack. How do we fight back? How do we fight back? Well, the Bible talks about your battle gear. You have this stuff called the armor of God. You have the, the helmet of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the shield of faith that, that the enemy's fiery darts come at you. Boom. You throw it up, Captain America style. You have the belt of truth. The truth will set you free. You have shoes. I love shoes, okay? You have shoes prepared with the gospel. Maybe that's why I like shoes so much. The gospel, good news right there, right? Readiness of peace, and you have one offensive weapon. Anybody know what it is? It's called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's full of power. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh in the person of Jesus, and it, dealt among, it dwelt among us. We fight with the Word. We fight with the truth. You can draw your sword. You can say Scripture. God, I, I humble myself before the Lord, and he will lift me up in due time. When that temptation knocks, when the devil comes knocking, you can say those things. Because I'm called by your name, I will humble myself. I will pray, and I will seek your face, and heaven will hear my prayers, and you will forgive my sins, and you'll heal my land. You say scriptures like that, and the enemy has to flee. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you alone are good. Your mercies endure forever. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and weary land. We talk so much about here, uh, about like reading through this, and whether you, you read through it over the course of a year or whatever, but daily engagement with, with the Word of God reaps so many benefits, one of which you get to sit in the presence of the Father and invite that presence and just sit there and be there, but it also is equipping you for the battle. It's equipping you for the battle. So when the enemy comes, you can say, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, because your mercies endure forever. You can say, not to us, not to us, but your name be the glory, because your goodness and faithfulness endures through all generations. 
You can say, less of me, God. I, I, I'm dealing with this pride thing, God. Less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. Those things help you to say, because of who you are, I voluntarily submit to your lordship. Why? Because you are king of kings. Because you are lord of lords. Because you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last, the, the soon returning, conquering king of kings who comes with a sword coming out of his mouth declaring your word. You get to emulate that. You get to walk out as Jesus walked out when you spend time in the word and this, this becomes written on your heart and written in your spirit and those scriptures come to mind as the enemy attacks, the Holy Spirit rises up and says, back off, here's the word of God coming at you. Because you are righteous, because you are true, because mortal man cannot look upon you in your purest essence and live because you are my redeemer, because you are my savior, because you are my friend, because you are my rock, because you are my righteousness, because you sent your son to die for me. What I couldn't do for myself, because he came to give life to me and life more abundantly. Those scriptures, live in this, soak this in. Let that be what you sweat. Absorb this so much. Eat this, that, that like whatever you put in your body is what comes out, right? That may even your pores as those, those situations that are tense or that the temptation comes along, that, that there's so much of this in you. And maybe it's not like, gosh, how do I get to the point where I even know 50 verses? You start by one. Find one verse. Maybe it's John 3.16. Find a verse. Memorize it this week. One verse this week. Might not even be like the right context, but when you get tempted, spit out that verse. Just say it out loud. Doesn't matter. It's the word of God and the enemy has to flee. Then just maybe start on verse 2 next week. It's not about some... Rogue memorization, right? It's about what comes out of us when the pressure's put on. I love the analogy. I've seen it used for a number of different things, but like I saw a preacher one time take a just a cup of hot water, and as they were talking about influences that we allowed to be put in us, whether it's our music or it's whatever media or whether it's books that we're reading or whether it's even um, friendship choices that we're making, but they put tea, a bag of tea in there, right? And how it just, it literally changes when something gets put in hot water. What, what comes out of you when you're put in hot water? When the enemy turns the heat up a little bit, when that, when that, when that tea kettle is whistling, what comes out of you? Set yourself up well. Daily quiet time with the Father. Daily engagement with the Word of God. This isn't just something that like ministers do. This is something that's, be, it, it, it's, it's what we're invited to do. We don't live in a time or in a church where it's like one person comes out here in his fancy gown and is, reads it in a different language. Thank Jesus that we don't live in that time. I would have really struggled. This is for all of us to engage in. To be, we're so fortunate to be written this to be written in our language. You might not know where to start. Gosh, you know what? I've, I've heard this a number of times before, but it's still, it's so, still so intimidating. I don't, I don't get it. There's so many words. What, what is it? Tell you what. Romans. If you can remember Romans, look up, look up in the front. It'll tell you what page it's on, and just start reading Romans and see what happens. Just start reading Romans and just see what happens. Take a pen and mark up your Bible. Open your Bible app, click on it, highlight things. Just start with Romans. No clue where I was. The devil is a liar. I don't know what that was, but I'm going to embrace the chuckles. Because the devil is a liar, the father of lies, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus is greater. He is powerful. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I submit to God. I resist the devil, and he will flee. In fact, when you're weak, 
Anybody willing to admit weakness? That's when he's strong. Be weak today. Be broken today. Be courageous enough to simply ask for help today and call on his name. You don't have what it takes. You are not good enough. I know that like these positive self-help messages that are out here that sound so cute and quaint that, our, that this society is trying to sell us a bill of goods, that somehow I'm good enough and I have what it takes. It's not true. The truth is you're not strong enough. It, not the positive message you thought you'd hear this morning in church, and that's okay because there's actual good news. You weren't designed to be all those things or to do it on your own. You were designed to need him and to need his people. Two or three gather together in his name, and there he is in the midst of us. We gather together and glorify him. He's our righteousness. He's our redeemer. Remember what we said earlier, you are never more vulnerable than when you're full of You're never, ever stronger than when you're broken before God. So, Father, today we ask that by your power, you would do a work within us. God, that you would strengthen your church as we humble ourselves before you. As we're reflecting in prayer right now, there are those of you who recognize and say, hey, DA, I'm just like you. I battle with pride. It may not be real obvious to me, but guess what? I'm kind of seeing it now. It might be just like pure blown pride or like I got this on my own stuff, or it might be a little bit more subtle. It's not something I'm proud of, right? Might be like an inverse pride, but still, you're at the center of your own dialogue. And Jesus wants to replace that, and He wants to be the center of your story. So, for those of you who say, Yes, I want to be humble, yes, I want to be broken before Him, I want Him to lift me up, I want to be, I want to be strong because He is strong in me. Those who say, That's my prayer today. Would you just stand up right now? Father, thank you so much for a church full of people who are broken and dependent on you. God, we pray. God, we pray that your power as we humble ourselves, that God, that you would lift us up. God, for those today that are just very aware of a battle going on, I pray that they would voluntarily rank under you. Under you, God, that they would choose to submit to you. God, give them strength by the power of Christ to resist the devil because greater is the one that is in him than the one that's in the world. Greater is the one that is in her than the one that is in the world. When they resist the devil, we thank you that he will flee. He has no power here. This is not his place. This place belongs to Jesus. God, give him faith to say, no, not today. Get away from me, Satan. And he must move. We thank you for the confidence and that that is reality. God, in our, in our weakness, would you be strong? As you keep praying through this today and this week, there are many of you, I'm just going to call it like it is, there's a battle going on for you right now. There's a battle. I just want you to resolve yourself right now. Are you going to be full in for Jesus? Or are you still going to live for the things of this world? I want you to make that commitment in your heart right now.
and declare who you're going to submit to, yourself or the king. Can we have our worship team come up, please? We're going to play one last song. Um, we're going to collect our tithes and our offerings, and then uh, we're going to get, I think that's what we do, right? We have the worship team going back up now. I lost my, my bearings. Um, this is a big deal. And here, I want to share with you that the Father's heart breaks every time someone chooses pride over submission to him. Because he's already lost someone who was so close to him. He, this sounds stupid saying out loud, and it might be, but I think it's truth. I think he wanted you to go to nurseries and find baby Lucifers. And that seems so bizarre right now, but he wanted that name to stand for something else. He wanted that name to be beautiful and not disgusting and repulsive. He wants the same for your name. That its chief identity would be found as his kid who voluntarily submits underneath so that they can be lifted up, so you can be lifted up in him. We're going to play a song. We're going to pass around ties and offering bags. Um, you can put your Connect card in if you still have that. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming with us this morning. Amen.